Welcome to Fueling Kentucky, the KPMA podcast. I'm your host, Brian Clark. And in the studio with me today, we have Jonathan Butcher uh, with UBS. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you, Brian. Jonathan is the first vice president of wealth management uh, and senior portfolio manager for UBS. Uh, UBS is a nationally recognized investment firm, and he is out of the Louisville office. Uh, their website is UBS.com, and Jonathan can be reached at Jonathan.butcher at UBS.com. Also in the studio with me today is KPMA's very own Abby Lobb. She's a communication specialist, and we'll be talking with Jonathan today about investing and where things are ha- are going in 2021. Such a tumultuous time and uh, an interesting time for the market, as we know. So just to kind of kick us off, uh, let, me, uh, let me roll it to you, Jonathan. Um, as the nation claws out of all this, what trends do you see on the horizon? Well, thank you, Brian. Um, you know, there are many things that we do see on the horizon. Uh, we'll start off, we see a world that is steadily returning to normal, uh, despite all this continued uncertainty, uh, while also rapidly accelerating into a transformed future. So, if investing in 2020 was about going resilient, large, and American, we really think in 2021 will be about going cyclical and small and global as the sectors and markets most heavily affected by lockdown start to revive. Now, at the same time, uh, as the economy accelerates into the future, Brian, investors with an eye on the long term, they'll need to add exposure to the disruptors making our world more digital and sustainable, uh, most notably these areas of green tech and fintech, health tech, and among the other beneficiaries of 5G rollouts. Um, now, make no mistake about it, this health crisis will leave behind a world that is more indebted, less global, and more digital. Uh, Investors will need to contend with several new challenges, including higher taxation, uh, financial repression, and moderately higher inflation. To deal with these challenges, we do expect an even greater need uh, for risk management beyond just traditional cash and government bonds. Uh, There'll need to be a renewed focus on global diversification to manage the risk of populism and protectionism. And then a couple other points, Um, you know, the recurring uh, COVID-19 waves are likely, uh, but there'll be limited public fear as restrictions fade gradually as we get these sufficient vaccinations by mid-2021. We do see central banks staying accommodative uh, as real rates remain low and stable over the next 12 months. And then finally, three other points. Fiscal impulse will fade moderately as governments adapt to this economic recovery. Uh, Second, developed countries' GDP returns, we see them coming back to pre-pandemic levels in 2022. And then finally, global trade policy is more nuanced, and the U.S. will take a targeted approach. So with that, that's some of the trends that we see on the horizon. Well, without a doubt, it's a uh, it's a tricky time for investors, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think to know from day to day what smart investing is 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 probably a loaded question. But mm-hmm. uh, what does smart investing look like in 2021 specifically? How would you characterize it? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we look at it, there's really four areas specifically in 2021 and beyond, which you know we refer to as uh, the next big the next big thing that happens mm-hmm. over the de- next decade. Um, we expect a wave of interest c- 
coming into 5G technology, which will enable a myriad of business models, uh, spurring the growth of a new generation of platform leaders capable of harnessing this 5G. Uh, In fact, there was an IHS market study that was revealed that said that there's about $13.2 trillion worth of economic value that could be generated from 5G applications by 2035. Um, As this pandemic uh, uh, shifts, also, Brian, we see the shift in fintech, specifically towards contactless and mobile payments and e-commerce. We'll see those firms that are deploying fintech technologies to really have good, strong earnings growth rates in the mid to high teens over the next decade, making this industry one of the fastest growing globally. Um, Another component we see, um, this pandemic has simultaneously increased patient focus on health outcomes. Mm. It's also reduced people's ability to access care, as well as government's capacity to pay for that care. So we think that health tech will play a critical role in improving the efficiency and quality of health care also in the deck ahead. Finally, 2020 was a watershed year for global climate policy. Uh, We saw the European Union and Japan pledge to go carbon neutral by 2050. China promised to do the same by 2060. Now, although these are long targets, Brian, we expect governments to start acting in 2021, which will open up attractive investment opportunities. You know, we saw this blue sweep of the White House, and Congress will add additional U.S. support for these measures, too, and bolster the global focus on climate change and sustainability. So those are kind of the four, you know, tenets that we see playing out here. Now, FinTech, for the uninitiated, that stands for? Uh, Financial technology. So uh, using the digitalization of uh, financial uh, pieces and parts to the entire economy. Okay, very good. Well, that help that helps me just define terms a little bit. Great, so Jonathan. You you talk a lot about the new administration's priorities and um, how this is really going to affect affect investing, particularly for our industry in mm-hmm. the sector that we are in. So, for energy, you know, it's getting especially interesting. Uh, what what might we expect? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Abby. And you're right. Uh, we've seen a lot happen. In fact, if we roll the tape back on the first day in office, U.S. President Joe Biden he signed in 17 executive orders some of which focus on reinstating environmental regulations that were reversed by the Trump administration. And then prior to this, you know, he assembled the largest team of climate change experts ever to join the White House staff and plans to address climate change by, quote, mobilizing American ingenuity to build a modern infrastructure and equitable clean energy future, end quote. The European Union is also committed to a green recovery, uh, driving investment in renewables, clean transport, and digitalization. Uh, Japan plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050, including banning non-electric cars and boosting green power production. You look at China, China's pledged carbon neutrality by 2060, and they've implemented generous subsidies to strengthen the domestic electric vehicle production, that entire ecosystem, and the consumer market. And what we see in the U.S. is Democrats will try to advance greater funding uh, for renewable energy investment and green jobs as part of an infrastructure package. And tax incentives 
for renewable energy as part of probably a broader tax package. Now, they may try to include a tax on carbon emissions as part of a budget reconciliation tax package, but we believe they'll probably fall short as some Democrats have reservations over such a tax. So this will be a very interesting uh, sector to keep our eyes on in this new administration. For sure. Yeah, we definitely will be keeping our members informed on all of these matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so switching gears a little bit, the continued decline of the dollar is concerning for the U.S. economy. So what do you expect to see in 2021 as the recovery broadens? Should investors brace for further weakness in the dollar? Yeah, yeah, the, the weakness in the dollar. So what we've seen uh, after falling about 13% from its March 2020 high, the dollar index, it's finally stabilized around 90 over the past month or so. Um, we see, you know, residual risk around the path of the pandemic may cushion the greenbacks decline in the near term, but we expect a recovering global economy and a diminished interest rate differential, if you will, to weigh on U.S. currency in 2021. So basically, you know, the U.S. uh, dollar's interest rate advantage, it's eroded. And the Federal Reserve projects that borrowing costs will not rise until 2023. So we see this recovering global economy and a heightened focus on U.S. indebtedness are likely to reduce this demand for the safe haven dollar. Right. Uh, So Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen testified back on January 19th that the U.S. will not seek a weaker dollar to gain a competitive advantage, uh, which is a contrast to the recurrent complaints about dollar strength under President Donald Trump. But while we see the Biden administration may not be specifically seeking a weaker U.S. dollar, we think investors should prepare for a further depreciation for those reasons. Do you uh, do you see reasons for concern that uh, like even equities as a whole are are in a bubble? You know, it's 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 something that's been floating around um, here recently, right? So we look at global stocks; they returned about sixteen percent in twenty twenty. U.S. stocks were up about twenty one percent, and this was all against the backdrop of falling earnings and a really deep economic recession. So this has looked like on the surface an expensive metric, which we use as price to earnings ratio, and has raised questions about the possibility of a bubble in equity. So it's a great question. And while there, we see reasons for concern, we don't think stocks as a whole are in a bubble right now. And we believe these valuations, they can be justified in the context of low interest rates. You know, there are large parts of the market are not expensively valued by historical comparison, and leverage for the time being right now remains contained for now. Um, you know, we'll see this vaccine rollout set to support this broadening economic recovery, and we see further upside for global equities. Uh, we really expect the cyclical areas of the market to continue to outperform. And our target for 2021, December of 2021, uh, we look at the S&P 500 to be at, uh, we'll call it 4,000, uh, which give or take uh, where we're looking at is about another 5 to 6% return. For many investors looking at the tech sector, I mean, it's consistently dominating the markets. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you do you think in the next decade we're gonna that we'll see reward for investing in companies using tech sector 
uh, and does that disrupt other sectors? Well, that's 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 a good question, and and you're right, Brian. We've seen you know the tech sector dominate the last decade of investments. Um, we think that this next decade will reward investing in those companies that actually begin to use the technology that's been developed over the past 10 years to then disrupt their own sectors that they're in with this new technology. So again, we expect the next big, the next big thing uh, to materialize within uh, fintech that we talked about before, health tech, uh, green tech. So all these spaces around using technology to drive more efficiency, and then also, you know, to be enabled and accelerated by the global rollout of 5G technology. Gotcha. Fintech. I'm learning new words today. Fintech. Very, very good. So along those lines, uh, how much should investors look at diversifying their tech exposure? That's good. So, you know, with U.S. tech shares, we've seen this outperformance since the March sell-off. You know, the NASDAQ composite is up over 97% from its March 23, uh, 23rd low uh, back in 2020. And even though this, this COVID-related correction earlier last year at a few pockets of, you know, valuation on tech and regulatory pressure, the NASDAQ still climbed over 43% in 2020. So on a historical basis, you know, the IT sector, it does not display traits associated with a bubble, especially as the NASDAQ valuations remain well below what we saw back in the 1990s. But we do think the IT sector looks appropriately valued relative to other sectors, given these current expectations for future cash flow and discounted rates. Uh, What we are continuing to advise investors that have high tech concentration risk in their portfolios is to diversify away into other areas within tech um, that offer secular growth prospects. Um, such as ongoing digital transformation. Uh, we see global tech cyclicals like chip makers and memory are likely cont- to, uh, to continue uh, to benefit from this post-pandemic rebound. Uh, and we've talked about it time and time again. 5G enabling technology and cybersecurity investments are also very attractive uh, going into this. So yes, diversify your, your tech exposure. Yeah, well, speaking of tech, we've seen some really high highs recently. Um, Can you talk about some of the pros and cons of realizing these gains and exiting the market? You know, when is it time to cash out? All these questions. You know, that's the ongoing question that all investors always have is, you know, should I cash out? We're at all-time highs. I'm getting nervous. So, when we see stocks trading near all-time highs, it's really easy to be tempted, you know, to, to go and cash out. But this strategy, what we found is it could hurt portfolio performance. You know, historically, what we see is returns after equity market highs continue to be positive. And in this low rate environment, we believe cash needs to be put to good use by investing in high yielding assets such as stocks. In fact, if you look at equities, Equities outperform cash more than 70% of the time over a one-year investment horizon. We also see that 85% of the time, equities outperform cash over a 10-year horizon. And then 100% of the time, equities outperform cash over a 20-year investment horizon. So, you know, through the lens of looking at the major banks, keeping interest rates low at these levels, and they're likely to accept moderately higher inflation – Cash and the safest bonds are set to deliver negative 
real returns for the foreseeable future. So we see holding this excess cash carries like a significant opportunity cost and is likely to deliver negative real returns long term. So we think investors should take exposure to equities and other real assets to then enhance potential returns. We wouldn't advise, you know, cashing out. So that patience always pays off. It does. (laughs) does. Um, Well, Bitcoin has been another wild ride recently. Mm. What's your take on this? Is is a bubble? (laughs) Yeah. So Bitcoin. So we've seen Bitcoin, you know, the prices have fallen, you know, 20% over the past, you know, three, four weeks. And we saw this this huge rise, you know, a fourfold rise since the start of 2020. And this was really driven by, you know, this record deficit finance fiscal spending. We saw rising institutional participation and this resurgent in North American volumes. Um, But these same factors that have been driving the crypto appreciation also intensify its volatility and risk. Uh, Bitcoin is limited and highly inelastic supply. It will it will basically exacerbate its volatility. And our analysis suggests institutional speculation could actually worsen this. So there's really a limited real-world use and extraordinary price volatility also indicates many buyers are seeking speculative gains. So what we're suggesting to investors is to seek out assets with traditional valuation models mm-hmm. uh, with no yield generated and cryptocurrency valuation models uh, invariably rely on these theoretical future use cases, which can't be assured. You know, we think investors looking to protect and grow their wealth over the long term should maintain discipline and exercise extreme caution with regard to cryptocurrency speculation. Sometimes waiting is hard for people in, in these things, mm-hmm. I think. I think you're right. It really is. Well, we're all looking forward to the future right now for many reasons. And, uh, you know, as you look at the remainder of 2021, we're just February now. But do you think the global economy is likely to bounce back this year? And if so, what role do uh, emerging markets play in that? Yeah, emerging markets is uh, another one of those asset classes that sometimes investors will uh, not think about as often as they should. Um, So the global economy, it's likely to bounce back in 2021. And a lot of this is spurred from the rollout of the vaccines. We're going to have this further fiscal stimulus, and we believe we'll continue to have this easy monetary policy from the Fed. So when you combine all these, it's going to produce further upside for equities, particularly in, in, in the cyclical component. Um, but also, we need to maintain this appeal for higher-yielding bonds, and we also see it supporting commodities. So one way to you know, exploit this combination is through a broad exposure to emerging markets. You know, we talked about U.S. real rates, and they're still in deep negative territory, which benefits emerging economies by supporting the global growth and then encouraging portfolio flows into these markets. So we expect strong growth to support commodities. We're actually targeting $63 a barrel on uh, Brent crude by the second half of 2021 versus where it's sitting now at roughly about $55 a barrel. Um, The MSCI emerging market earnings probably last year fell only about 6% compared with the 15% drop by global equities. What's interesting is we are forecasting emerging market earnings to grow at 28% this year, 
which is healthy growth. So we're really positive on emerging market equities, uh, specifically in Asia. You know, we provide uh, we prefer the Chinese equities given their strong earnings trends. They have reduced domestic and international policy uncertainties at this time, and they have a very supportive monetary policy. Very, very good insights. Thank you, Jonathan. And mm-hmm. and uh, before we go to our last question, I just want to let everybody know, UBS has been a longtime member of the KPMA and a strong supporter of our association uh, as a uh, associate member and uh, also silver sponsor. And we appreciate your support and obviously a wealth of knowledge uh, on wealth management from mm-hmm. UBS. So we That's appreciate it. Brian. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, there you go. But uh, we, we appreciate your time today. And, and you know, just really one last thing, um, as investors are looking uh, why is now the time for private markets? Why would you zero in on that? Well, Brian, uh, first, thank you again. Um, appreciate the uh, partnership that we've been able to uh, uh, be in with uh, KPMA over all these years. And it's just a fantastic organization, and we love being a part of it. And I know all your members feel the same way as I do. Um, you know, with respect to private markets, we think that this current economic environment, we've got this negative economic fallout of a pandemic. We've had low interest rates, and we're seeing this rapid technological change occur. It does offer a unique set of opportunities for private market investing. So, through private markets, investors can support firms, you know, firms that are seeking a path to recovery, while also potentially accessing opportunities that may be that next big thing. So, in a portfolio with returns on traditional investments likely to be lower in the future, uh, these investments are becoming increasingly important uh, when seeking to, you know, enhance returns, uh, diversify, and maybe even in some cases generate income. Uh, So, for investors willing to take on this additional illiquidity and credit risk that we find in private markets, it can provide uh, the potential for enhanced yield opportunities uh, through areas like direct lending and core real estate or even infrastructure strategies. So, private markets is a unique space right now, especially given the current economic environment that we're in. Good to know. Thank you, Jonathan. That thank you. Well, that looks like uh, about all the time we have today. Remember uh, UBS.com when you're considering your investment and uh, uh, wealth management counsel and, and email Jonathan at uh, jonathan.butcher at UBS.com. We appreciate your time again today, Jonathan. Thanks so much for your insights. You've been listening to Fuel in Kentucky, the podcast of the Kentucky Petroleum Marketers Association. Visit us next time and be sure to visit our website at www.kpma.org.